We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 1st. Nick Whalen here. I was going to be flying solo today, but coming to the rescue in just a second is friend of the program, KL Shenard. KL covers the Atlanta Hawks for Hawks.com. He was kind enough to join me to cover a number of topics. We hit on Paul Millsap, all star selections, the Kyle Corver trade, Dwight Howard, the future of the Hawks, and a ton more. Even snuck in some D League talk, some Johnny O'Brien talk really delving into the issues at the forefront of the NBA. It was a really fun conversation. KL has his finger on the pulse of the Hawks as much as just about anyone. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here's KL.
backed by popular demand. It is KL Chouinard of Hawks.com. KL, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Nick. We have no DJ today. He is stuck in a meeting. Uh, not really sure what that's about. Not something I really wanted to have any part of, but uh, we're going to miss him. Uh, either way, we should have a good discussion on tap here about the Atlanta Hawks. But first, I want to start, KL, on a little bit of a sadder note. Are you aware that today would have been Tractor Trailer's 40th birthday? I did not know that. That's... It's a fact. Oh, just 40. My goodness. Right? I know. That's what I, that's what I would have thought, too. Um, but yeah, Tractor Trailer, uh, RIP. Uh, I believe he passed away in 2011 while playing. Uh, I think he was in Puerto Rico at the time. Um, our mutual friend and former basketball colleague, Preston Schmidt, I know, is the, the proud owner of a Tractor Trailer Milwaukee Bucks jersey. So I'm sure he's taking it extra hard today. Yeah, I, I can't even get my head around. So he's younger than Vince Carter. Didn't Vince turn 40 last week? Did he? Yeah. I I, I think so. I think so, yeah. Well, was uh, what year was Vince drafted? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm not going to be able to get back yeah, that you're far. right. So Vince turned 40 on January 26th. So, yeah, less than a week ago. Um, Tractor Trailer was part of the 98 draft. So same draft as Vince Carter, same draft as Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, Anton Jameson, Rashard Lewis. Um, but, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a tractor-trailer historian, so uh, I, thought, I thought it was fitting that, that you could join us on this day. I actually remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I got the news that tractor-trailer had passed away. I had just finished absolutely bombing a Geology 100 final exam my freshman year of college at UW. Wow. Was that long ago? 2011. Yeah, I mean, six wow. years ago already, which... It is I don't know that that's a, that's its own sad story in itself. But uh, rest in peace to Tractor Trailer. I uh, wanted to get that out of the way uh, right away. And of course, shout out to Preston for the Tractor Trailer jersey. Um, yeah, when you said this was a two man podcast, I was like, if you ever need a third wheel for a podcast, Preston's the guy. I've I've actually been wanting to have Preston on, but the thing is, every time I ask him, like, hey, do you want to come on, like semi seriously, he's like, wait a second, I actually have not been watching the Bucks that much. So like, I think he. Since you know, since basketball uh, folded, I guess for a lack of better terms, uh, I don't think he's been keeping up with the Bucks quite so much. But we'll have to get him on eventually. Uh, let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks. Last time we spoke to you was I think mid October, so the season hadn't even started yet. Um, the Hawks are now twenty eight and twenty. They're four and a half games back of Cleveland uh, for first place in the Eastern Conference. But I want to start with the Paul Millsap situation. A couple weeks ago, this was big news. Um, you know, the Hawks had traded Kyle Korver to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Everyone kind of thought that was the first domino that might fall, and you know, the Hawks kind of finally entering maybe a rebuilding stage. There was a two or three day period where everybody was ramping up the Paul Millsap to Toronto uh, speculation. The trade machine was getting fired up. Uh, but what changed for the Hawks to go from that mindset where it looked like they were ready to deal Paul Millsap to? A week later, the team saying, no, we're going to hang on to him. I don't know that we know. And I'm not really sure that they were thinking rebuild when they were talking about trading Millsap. I know that's that sounds crazy because if you trade Millsap, he's the foundation of your team. And they've been pretty terrible uh, when he hasn't played this season. But I asked Coach Budenholzer, you know, in the weeks leading up to the Corver trade, um, you know, what did he use as his guiding principle for making decisions? And he said sustained success. And if you look at, 
you know, where he came from and where he is. I think, you know, you look at the Spurs and the Hawks and they're the two teams with the longest playoff streaks in each conference. I'm not sure that that's in his DNA, so to speak. I don't think he's been through the true rebuilds. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's looking for a true rebuild. And I'm not sure Atlanta is the market to go for a true rebuild. So, you know, I think that even a, a trade of Millsap was a short-term rebuild and not necessarily a long-term rebuild if they went through with it. But as far as, you know, what decisions played into it, I'm sure that, you know, when you look at the factors that went into it, it would be some combination of, you know, what were the offers they were getting? Uh, you know, what sort of feedback did they get from Millsap and Millsap's representation? And, you know, what sort of feedback did they get from ownership? And I'm not sure that even all those three were involved, but I think if you wanted to get to a complete picture, that would be the three pieces that went into it. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the city of Atlanta and the situation that this team is in maybe being a factor when looking at a rebuild as an option. Like, do the Hawks feel like they've built some momentum with this fan base? You know, four or five years ago, it was a joke that you couldn't get the Hawks, you know, you couldn't get Hawks fans out to a, a Friday night game. You couldn't get them out on these national TV games. Then they have a 60-win season, and it seems like things have kind of steadily trended up since then. Is there a belief that they don't really want to kind of squander the momentum that they've built? Uh, I'm sure they've lost some of the momentum since that 60-win season. You know, the attendance mm -hmm. isn't what it was at that point. But I just, if you look at the market and you look at the attendance and the, the fan interest, I mean, I think there's some hesitation into going through a total rebuild because it's it's not as deep as it would be in some other cities. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you look at this roster, too. It's It's tough to rebuild you know, unless you're going to get rid of Dwight Howard along with Paul Millsap and maybe some of the other veterans on this team. Like, you don't have this this really young, high upside core who you can just kind of leave things in the hands of and say, you know, it will, we'll be bad for a couple of years, but we're going to get you guys this experience. And then, you know, two, three years down the road, things will start looking up. Like, not that they don't have young talent, but I don't think they have those one or two you know, a, a plus type of blue chip prospects, you know, a Carl Anthony Towns, a Porzingis, guys like that on this roster uh, who you can really feel good about going forward. And that's not to take anything away from guys like Bembry and Prince, but they're just not in that category. Sure. You're, I agree with you that if you look at the Dwight Howard contract, you know, signing 31-year-old Dwight Howard to a three-year deal doesn't really make sense if you want to go through a rebuild, exactly. especially if you don't take at least one crack at it with Howard and Millsap together. Right. I mean, do, do you think they felt that they would be better than they are right now? Um, you know, obviously, they've turned things around since that rough patch around the time of the Corver trade. Um, but like, did you get the sense that they maybe thought Dwight Howard would have a bigger impact? That's tricky. I think, you know, if you look at Horford compared to Howard, you know, I think that they figured he would help in areas that he would help in areas that they particularly needed because Howard's skill saps. Oh, skill saps. What the <laughs> yeah, heck kind of word is that? Is, Howard's that, is that a nickname for Paul Millsap? I, I was trying to say skill set and Millsap in the same phrase, and I just <laughs> made something up there. Howard's skill set meshes better with Millsap's than Horford's did because you look at Horford and Millsap together, they kind of duplicate each other in that they're both good passers. You know, they're both good playmakers. They're both good shot blockers, but, you know, neither is a particularly good rebounder. And so, you know, it's just a, just apples and oranges. And I think that they suspected that 
Howard be a, would be a better fit in the playoffs next to Millsap than Horford was. And so I, I still think that you know in that signing, somehow they figured they would at least go through one one playoff run together. Yeah, and I think they had kind of already run it with Horford and Millsap. You know, they had tried that a couple times. That group had never really fared well against LeBron James teams. And, you know, frankly, if you're in the Eastern Conference, that's what it's going to take getting through LeBron to get to the finals. So I, I do see that as a, you know, Dwight could be slightly worse than Al Horford. He could be slightly better. It's not somebody that, you know, we're not bringing in prime Shaq to, to completely change things up. But I kind of saw it as a, all right, we've tried with Horford and Millsap. It didn't work. We're going to try with Dwight and Millsap. Maybe we'll kind of catch lightning in a bottle here. And it's not like Horford is, is setting the world on fire in Boston either. I mean, he hasn't been bad, but I think he's maybe underwhelmed a little bit relative to expectations. And you can make the argument that right now you'd rather have Dwight Howard at $23 million for three years than you know Al Horford at an average of 27 or $28 million for four years. Absolutely. And for the Hawks to keep him, they might have needed to have signed him for five years. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you compare a three-year deal versus a five-year deal for players that will be in their upper 30s when those deals end, right. you know, three three is probably a big advantage over five. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was a smart, you know, kind of foresight deal by the Atlanta Hawks, you know, knowing that they could bring Horford back and be, you know, kind of right where they are, maybe try to break through for another couple of years. But, you know, down the road, you're probably going to regret that contract. Like, I, 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 kind of think Toronto might be in that similar situation with Kyle Lowry Um, and not to take anything away from Kyle Lowry but do you really want to sign him right now at the point in his career you know you think he's probably not getting to get any better considering his age like do you want to sign that guy to a five-year deal I feel like on paper the answer is no but if you're Toronto it's a really really tough situation for you because you also don't want to just let your franchise player walk right you know if if it were me I would dial it back to where they re-signed DeRozan right. and have tried to save some of that cash for Lowry. But it's tricky. They're, they're going to be in a situation. And I don't think that Toronto's a terribly good team. You know, you look at the East and I think Washington and Atlanta and Toronto and Boston are all pretty much equal. Mm-hmm. Toronto may have the, the better record for the moment, but I think they played a little bit above their heads in November. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. You're, you're bringing you're bringing back a team that could very well, you know, fall short again this season, and then then you kind of have the same questions that the Hawks have faced: is, you know, is it worth running it back with a core that we already know has come up short? Um, but going back to Paul Millsap, he's an All Star, the, the Hawks' lone All Star this season. Uh, did you feel uh, in your completely unbiased, not at all writing for Hawks dot com opinion that Paul Millsap deserved this All Star nod this season? You're not going to believe this, but I did agree with that decision. Really, I did. Um, you know, the the thing that I thought was a little bit of a of a quandary was that 76ers fans and their moral outrage targeted Millsap instead of Paul George. They did, yeah. I'm not really sure. I know there were a couple of NBA TV graphics that lined up Embiid and Millsap side by side, and I know maybe they play a little bit more similar positions than than George. And Embiid do, but Millsap's been terrific. He's he's an absolute force. Um, and if you look at the handful of games where he hasn't played for the Hawks this season, this season they've been complete utter disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's a complete glue guy. He's you know a masterful passer. He's one of the few guys on the Hawks that can make a shot one on one if if they need something late in the clock or late in the game or in a situation where opposing defenses are switching 
And then he just does a little bit of everything. He's kind of a league average three-point shooter. He's got really effective numbers in the low post this season, more effective than um, than Howard's been as a, as a post player. And so he's absolutely deserving, in my opinion, sure. Yeah, I think he is too. It's interesting to note that you know he was the target of the Embiid clan. You know that 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 thought he should have been in because, like you said, Paul George is is probably in that same category of Millsap as far as if you ranked you know the All Stars one through twelve in the order of of which they are deserving. You know, George and Millsap are probably toward the bottom, but I think to me that just says more about the other guys on the list than it does Millsap and George. I mean, Kyrie, sure. DeRozan, LeBron, Butler, you know, Giannis. The list goes on. Like those guys in any year would be an all-star and and you know I think Millsap's somewhat on the fringe but um you know at the time that the voting happened the Sixers weren't quite at the peak of this you know this recent run where they've been reeling off these wins like people forget that the voting didn't come down to like the night it was announced you know so maybe that was a factor at the time the Hawks had like doubled the amount of wins of the 76ers uh so that certainly played a role but looking at these rosters overall both the east and the west uh, I mean, how, what was your reaction? Did, are there any guys that you think shouldn't be on there? Any guys that you think should be there that aren't? No, I thought it was pretty fair. And, and in Millsap's defense, one one other thing that I forgot to mention is that I think he's one of the five best defenders in the league. You know, I think he's on a par with, with Draymond Green. I think they're very comparable players. You put him on a point guard, you feel good about it. You put him on a center, you feel good about it. Like, there's really no one in the league where if they end up one-on-one with Millsap, you think, oh, wow, this is going to be a bad matchup. Like, that that's incredible. That's so rare. I mean, there are just so few guys that, that can switch and deal with anybody one through five in the entire league. Yeah, and that's one of the things that, you know, casual fans, you know, a lot of the people who, who vote for these type of things – don't see you know like you see the the Embiid highlight blocks on, on SportsCenter and and not to take anything away from Embiid's defense because he's been great but the things that 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 Millsap does on defense aren't necessarily plays that you're going to see you know on mainstream highlights right and to get back to your other question about the rosters you know when I made up my own my own uh, all-star rosters on the podcast that I did with Carla Pay, we pretty much agreed on almost all the picks I think I had Porzingis on there and you know that was kind of a stretch and a reach and I like kind of liked Eric Gordon as, as somebody who I thought was was deserving who didn't ultimately make it um I, I'm sure that was a great podcast but I just want to make it clear from here on out you're you're no longer allowed to go on any other podcast except this one but that's my own podcast well not anymore it's not I think you're gonna have to shut that one down okay I'm sorry it's an exclusive deal we have here um, but when it comes to, to all-stars, what do you value most? Like I, I had this discussion with DJ earlier in the week. I'm a, a numbers over, over wins guy. So like I was trying to make the case, you know, that Eric Bledsoe should have got some consideration because he's been really good. The Suns have been really bad. Uh, and I felt like a guy like Clay Thompson, who, who's been fine. I mean, he's, he's having a, a vintage Clay Thompson year. Uh, but I felt that, you know, possibly the Warriors being the best team in the NBA had a lot to do with him being their fourth all-star. Uh, when there were maybe some more deserving players uh, from teams that you know at the time didn't have 38 wins or whatever it was. So, what is your you know your ranking, I guess, of like key things that you look for when you're picking an all star? I like wins and numbers both, but I think when it when we get into numbers, I think rebounds are a little bit overrated. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't put so much emphasis on on rebound numbers as I would on other things. I know it matters a lot for your your 
ultimate rebounder, like your your top rebounder, that that that's pretty important. You know, you want to have that one guy, whether it's a power forward or a center, who can just go and get rebounds all the time. But in general, rebound numbers don't excite me. In defense, I don't think it counts nearly enough. So, you know, I think my emphasis compared to what some other people might do uh, is to to weigh defense heavily. And you know, a lot of times that goes hand in hand with wins. But that's the one thing that I think gets left out too much. All right, so let's get back to the Kyle Korver trade. Uh, early January, news of that deal services. Took a couple of days for it to become finalized, but Kyle Korver uh, now nearly a month in with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I want to know what was the mood uh, for both Korver himself and kind of the mood around the team when that deal went down? Were, were guys upset to see him go? Like, Was that something that they kind of let on to, to the media? It's tricky. I think maybe it was a little bit more of a surprise to the media than it was to the team. You know, there are some players who have been around for a few years with Corver, but there are also a bunch of people in the locker room that have only been there, you know, half a year or one and a half years, and they weren't around when Corver was one fifth of the January 2015 Player of the Month. So, God, you know, that for. Happened. <laughs> you got me you got me <laughs> man i am definitely not cutting that out that's fair that's this is, fair this is just pure grit that you're that you're exhibiting right now uh yeah the flu podcast this is definitely going to be my flu podcast so you know i think for some players like schroeder and schroeder and cephalosha you know, they probably were a little bit surprised and stung by it, and especially Millsap. But you would never get a read on Millsap's emotions just because he plays that kind of stuff so close to the vest. Um, but I think for those, you know, that small handful of players, it was kind of a surprise. Millsap said something interesting. Um, the one little bit that you probably could glean from him was that there was a game after Corver had been traded, you know, right when Millsap was sort of peak in the rumors and you know they asked him about what he thought about some trade rumor or other and he says you know tonight's not really about that tonight's about you know Kyle Korver and what he meant to the team or something like that and I think he genuinely meant it so you know and Millsap played with with Korver for a few years in Utah too so they go back a ways they had lockers that were side by side so I think maybe for Millsap you know it, was, it probably meant more than it did for a lot of the other guys yeah, I don't know if this is something that you'd be able to glean from the players at all, but or you can just kind of answer from your personal perspective. Like, did it mean anything that they've traded him to Cleveland? You know, a team that that's gone eight zero against the Hawks over the last two playoffs. Like, was there a sense of really? Okay, not only are we trading this guy, we're also trading him to the team that we can't beat. You know, almost a a light version of the the Durant to Golden State situation. Yeah, I didn't get any feeling like that from the players, one way or the other. It, it's tough to glean. I know that that came up you know a few of the media people i think sort of expressed some some curiosity in that regard but as far as the players they didn't really get any kind of vibe either way did you get a chance to talk to kyle himself about it like was he excited um not after the trade but you know shortly before it um he said something to the effect of you know he's been in trade rumors before it's hard you know he's got a family that lives in atlanta and you know, he said something to the effect of that you know he really loved being in the NBA. Like he couldn't pick a different job that he could possibly imagine loving more than he 
than he did playing in the NBA, but that job security wasn't one of the strengths of the job. And so I, I think it might have been hard. It probably was softened a little bit by the fact that he was going to a contender. Mm-hmm. And, and when he, you know, when his name came up in trade rumors, he said, you know, I used to think of it as a bad thing. You know, when your name came up in trade rumors, it was thinking of it in terms of a team not wanting you. But then a veteran teammate that was around during his first trade came up to him and said, you know, don't think of it that way. Think of it as another team wanting you. And so, you know, he, he said that um, when his name came up in trade rumors this time around, he didn't take it in a bad way. He took it as there were other teams out there that did want him. So in, in return in that deal, the Hawks brought back Mike Dunleavy, um, you know, a very similar player in terms of style uh, to Kyle Korver, somewhat of a three-point specialist. I think the expectation at first was Dunleavy was just in that deal as a throw-in for salary reasons, uh, sounded like they were going to work towards a buyout, and then all of a sudden the tone kind of switched. Dunleavy uh, and the Hawks had met and, and decided that they would keep him around, and, and more importantly, Dunleavy, I think, decided he wanted to be there. Um, do you have any insight as to as to how that situation transpired and you know how the Hawks kind of see Dunleavy's role for the rest of the season? I don't know that there was any ever any ever doubt on the Hawks side that they wanted Dunleavy. That seemed like a message that they were putting out there from the day that the trade happened. And maybe there were people that took it with some skepticism when it came out just because I don't think he was having a gangbuster season with the Cavaliers. He was not. But yeah, he was not. And but for the Hawks, he's been terrific. And you know, I think he kind of fills a role similar to what Corver gave them, but it's different. And you know, two of the things that that uh, two of the ways in which it's different is one, I think he's a lot more comfortable moving towards the rim on a cut. Like they're both really great cutters. And, but Corver's cuts are the ones where he's curling around a screen and going away from the basket, whereas Dunleavy can do some of that, but he'll also do the ones where he goes right at the basket. And he's, you know, he's uncannily tall. Like, you don't think of Mike Dunleavy as necessarily being tall, but, you know, I think he's a couple inches taller than Millsap is. And so, you know, when he cuts towards the hoop, he's very good at timing it, but he's also very good at getting the ball and finishing it at the rim with, with a finger roll or whatnot. And then the other aspect in which he's different than Corver, and this again goes back to his size, is that so you look at the other guards on their roster, and it's players like Hardaway and Bazemore, and a bunch of players that are six five, you know, six four, six five, six six. They're really more two guards than they are small forwards. And so when you would put them out there with Corver, it was always a little bit tricky uh, about figuring out who would guard the big athletic wing types. And I think with Dunleavy, it's a little bit better fit that they have those guys that that play like two guards, and he could pretty much just be a regular small forward, and sometimes a power forward too. They've they've tweaked the line, and they were doing that with Corver too. So I guess that's not too much of a change, but I think it's a little bit more natural for Dunleavy than it was for Corver. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. That's a good point about his height too. I always thought that as well, even going back to when he was in Milwaukee. You know, I've been covered a couple games, and he he's one of those guys that you know the the typical mold for you know the the white forward shooting specialist is like six seven, maybe six eight. Like he's he's a legit six ten, and it, it's surprising how tall he is. Um, but going from the the oldest player on the team uh, to some of the youngest, what have been the impressions now uh, of DeAndre Bembry and Tari and Prince? Um, when we talked back in October, uh, I think 
you know, spirits were pretty high about, you know, two first round picks, both versatile wing types. Uh, and we really haven't seen either of them make big time splashes at the NBA level yet. Um, you know, what is the sense around the organization about the progress that both Bembry and Prince have made, you know, through the first two thirds of the season? It's tricky. I don't know that we've gotten a terribly good feel on either one. <clears throat> With Bembry, you know, he hasn't played that much. Um, his The best part of his season came right around Christmas. There was a game right before Christmas, a game right after Christmas on a road trip where he looked pretty good. He's, you know, a, a kind of a combo guard type. He's, he's not that big, but he's very athletic. He sees the floor well to pass the ball. You know, he, he can dribble real well. He's athletic to finish at the rim. But what seemed like his, his strengths were his ability to cut without the ball and to defend. He can move his feet very well on defense. But you know, he hasn't been able to, to crack the rotation for regular minutes. And I think he's got a lot of work to do in terms of uh, doing stuff with his jump shot. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, he lost uh, a cousin, which is particularly cruel because he also lost a brother – uh, like the night before the draft. So, you know, he, he was a sort of on and off with the team for about a week where, um, you know, he was away for personal reasons. And and that was coming, you know, right when he – he wasn't necessarily playing, but, you know, he was showing some promise. And so I think that just made it a really tough situation for him. With Prince, you know, I'm kind of scratching my, my head on Prince a little bit. You know, you mentioned before – uh, that the Hawks didn't really have any high upside guys. And I have to agree with you that that maybe they don't, but you know, Prince is a lottery pick. He's a big kid. And I don't see any obvious holes in his game. You know, he looks like he could be a good defender, a good rebounder. Uh, he shoots really well. And when I you know, when you watch him going through drills and things with his teammates you know, he's he's not in the bottom third of the Hawk shooters. He he looks like a guy that can legitimately shoot. I, he gets compared sometimes unfairly to Damari Carroll. I think it's because uh, the, he just looks like Damari Carroll. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some comparison that they're both small forwards, same size. You know, they kind of look alike a little bit, but the dreads, yeah. I think he's yeah yeah. So, but I think he can handle the ball a lot better. You know, that really wasn't one of Carroll's strengths, and I think that. That that Torian can be a very good ball handler, and so you put that whole package together, and it's like he's big, he can defend, he can pass, he can shoot, he can make a play off the dribble. Why isn't he playing? And you know, over the last month or so, there have been times where he gets into the game and he plays for a minute, minute thirty seconds, and the other team gets a basket that they probably weren't supposed to get, and it looks like he makes a mistake that he wasn't supposed to make, and there's a timeout, and then you don't see him for the rest of the game or the next game. So I think it's just a matter of him, you know, meshing with the system and, you know, just learning what's expected of him, and that's kind of a total guess. I mean, nobody's really said that, but if you just look at the minutes that he's played and, and you know, the the way they've played out when he gets those sh- short appearances that that it seemed like he was going to come in and play, a, you know, a significant role in the game because he was in in the first quarter and then he doesn't play the rest of the first half and he doesn't play at all in the second half. And, you know, you think he made a mistake he wasn't supposed to make and they decided to roll with somebody else. And when Dunleavy got here, that kind of eliminated his minutes. Um, I'm not really sure how because you would think that Dunleavy was playing 
Corver's minutes, but again, Corver was more of a guard type. Dunleavy's more of a forward type. And so Dunleavy's really been that first small forward off the bench, and we haven't seen Prince that much since. Part of me thinks that some of the the expectations for this draft class are maybe just set a little bit too high because you know you have Simmons and Ingram at the top, but other than that, I mean, this has been thus far a pretty underwhelming class. And and you see Tari and Prince, you know, selected at number twelve, which what was you know the Utah pick at the time. He ends up in Atlanta. Like I think the expectation is, well, this guy was taken twelfth overall. Why is he not contributing right away? Where I think you got to take a step back and say like. You know, this draft class just wasn't as deep as a lot of the other ones that we've seen. I mean, if Torian Prince was in this current draft, he's probably maybe a late first round pick. You know, I think it was just kind of a historically, you know, a draft that was a little bit dry for talent at the top. I mean, you look outside of the top 10, only four players have played 40 games this year. Sabonis uh, in OKC, Siakam in, in Toronto, Brogdon with Milwaukee, and then Isaiah Whitehead, who's in kind of an odd situation, you know, playing in Brooklyn on, on that D-League team. Uh, so it's just a it's a unique situation, and, and I think you know it can kind of it can kind of lead to some some misevaluations. I mean, you, even guys like Henry Ellenson, Wade Baldwin, Denzel Valentine. I think all three of those guys right now are in the D League, and that's just not something that you normally see from you know mid first round picks. So uh, I'm with you. I think I think Torian Prince long term is going to be an asset just because, like you said, he has great size. He's a great athlete. He can shoot it. Like guys like that stick around. Like, even if he doesn't turn into a star. There's always a spot, you know, whether it's the, you know, the sixth man, the guy like Carroll, or the 13th man on a roster for a 6'7 guy who's built like a linebacker and, and can defend three positions. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And the, and the Hawks did send him to the D-League. They just announced this week that they're going to have an affiliate starting next season, but they don't have one this season. And so his, his D-League stints have been kind of spotty. And maybe that's because, you know, they can't mm-hmm. necessarily make an arrangement where, you know, he's going to get, you know, starters minutes when he goes down to the D-League. So they probably would use him more in the D-League uh, if they had a D-League team that was, you know, their own, but they don't. So it's been spotty and he's been pretty good in the D-League when he's gone. And so that's mm-hmm. another encouraging sign. So let's talk about the D-League while we're on that subject. You've done a lot of reporting on that for Hawks.com and, and on Twitter as well. Um so they're, the Hawks are going to get their own exclusive D-League affiliate. Is that next season or two seasons from now? Well, you know, going back a few months, the Hawks announced that they were going to put a D-League team in College Park, Georgia, which is about eight miles south of the downtown, something like that. It's out near uh, the airport. I believe that is the hometown <clears throat> of Two Chains. I believe you're right. I really hope he's going to be involved with this team. Yeah, and and I hope they can come up with a, a good name. I, they gotta I, get I think there's some potential. Yeah, there absolutely is. I I remember reading one time, 2 Chains himself claimed that he was recruited to the University of Memphis, which I think at the time would have been called Memphis State, uh, to replace Penny Hardaway after Penny went to the draft. Um, and I, and I, think I don't know how it. true that is. He played at Alabama State. Alabama State, okay. He, yeah, it was. This was. I forget. I wish I could remember. Um, you know, so I could cite my source here. Some someone did a Q and A, kind of like a mini oral history on Two Chains' very brief but explosive basketball career. And yeah, I think the ex- like close to the exact quote from from a coach of his at the time was, yeah, you know, he was he was a good player, but he he left the program after a year because the rap game came calling. 
Um, <laughs> so, so hopefully the basketball game comes calling and, and he gets involved. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. So the, so the Hawks are going to have an exclusive D-League affiliate in College oh. Park, which is just outside Atlanta? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Give me a sec. Sorry. I forgot that was there. We don't really use it. Is that a phone? Yes, on the beautiful, like beautiful phone. landline. Oh, it is. Well, I don't know if it's rotary, <laughs> but it's at least 30 or 40 years old. He's going to let it ring? Yeah, just... You I can pick it up if you want. It's like across the room, so by the time I get there, okay. it'll be dead anyways. All right, there it goes. All right. So they have they have this team in College Park, and... It's supposed to start in 2019-20 season, which is another thing because they kept saying, oh, it's going to open in 1920. It's going to open in 1920. And for the first three times they said that, it didn't even dawn on me what they were talking about. But it was kind of weird that you know, there were so many teams starting D-League franchises in the near future. Why would the Hawks wait this long? And I think part of the explanation is that they're going to build a building together with College Park. And so they're going to get this brand new building. Uh, it's going to be very close to their facility. You know, it's going to be less than 10 miles but away from, you know, Phillips Arena. And so they were going to have this nice flexibility where, you know, if one of their young guys that's on the Hawks wasn't playing that much, they could still practice with the D-League team and get that extra repetition. Mm-hmm. But then there was still that question of, well, the Hawks have wanted a D-League team for so long. Now they're going to wait till 2019-20. And so what they did was uh, they got the rights to the Erie Bayhawks this week. And the Erie Bayhawks are an already established D-League team. Uh, sure but are. the guts of that team are are moving to Florida with the Orlando Magic. So the Orlando Magic you know, took Erie, and that's going to be their franchise in Florida starting next season. Uh, so the Hawks are going to be starting – a new old team, if you will, and they're going to be running it in Erie for two years before they move it to College Park. Interesting. It's remarkable, really, how much of an emphasis has been placed on the D-League over these last couple of years. I mean, it was such a, even for you know guys like us who follow the league closely for a long time, like, you know, the, the D-League was almost a joke. You know, you would hear, like, the Reno Bighorns, like, who the hell plays for the Reno Bighorns? Like, what is that? And now it's like, I mean, we're with, we're well within reason that you know within five years every team could have its own affiliate. I mean, we know the Bucks are are in the process of doing that, and it, it seems every month you know you get a new announcement like the Hawks have made and like the Magic have made. I mean, teams are seeing the advantage, especially from a developmental standpoint, not only to have your own exclusive affiliate, you know, that you can kind of operate and say, all right, we want this guy to play this many minutes, we want this type of role, we want to run this type of defense. Uh, but to have it in your own city, we we talked with with Ryan Wolstad of the Toronto Sun a couple weeks ago, and and of course the Raptors, you know, opened the Raptors nine oh five last year, and and he just said, you know, it's it's been huge, you know, to to be able to throw guys down there and and you know have them go get a full practice in with the you know with the NBA team, and then go play forty minutes for the D League team, and then be back with the NBA team the next day, not have to worry about travel, not have to worry about guys, you know, feeling like they're being exiled to Idaho for a month. Uh, and it just seems like that's kind of the way we're trending, where more teams not only want their own affiliate, they want their own affiliate close by. Right. And that was one of the things that the Hawks mentioned. And you look around the league and it's I think the current count, you know, starting next season will be at least 23, 24 teams. Mm-hmm. And with the new collective bargaining agreement, you know, teams are going to have this option to to make these two way contracts between the NBA and the D-League where they're going to have effectively 
more than 15 roster spots. I mean, you can take these young guys and put them on a on a two-way contract, and just as long as they don't surpass some threshold of working with the NBA team, they're kind of be the uh, you know under contract with that NBA franchise, but playing for a D League team. And so the teams that have franchises are going to be in an advantage over the ones that don't. The ones that don't can still have the two-way contracts, but as far as getting them that D-League time, it's going to have to be that uh, flexible assignment rule where they're going to have to make that negotiation with another team to get their players playing for another team. And I think that's that's going to be tricky to to be able to find the minutes and the opportunity with those teams. Right. And and I think there's something to be said for, you know, having continuity, you know, as far as you want your D-League team playing like your NBA team. So when a guy goes down there, he doesn't have to learn a new set of plays. He doesn't have to learn a new system. Like it's just kind of a, you know, a light version of, of what the NBA team is doing and can kind of help him get up to speed. I mean, this is a really elementary example, but I know, you know, back in my in my hometown near Green Bay, it was a huge deal for the football program that starting with, you know, flag football, even down in fourth grade, it was, you're all running the same offense. You're all running the same playbook starting all the way back then. So when everybody gets up to varsity, there's no confusion. And I think in some ways, uh, having an exclusive D league affiliate does give you that benefit. So you're not just sending a player to go play for essentially another team, another coach where he might play 40 minutes but he might not play the position that you want him he might not get the type of shots you want him to practice so uh, it's interesting to see how the nba has placed an emphasis on that um one more thing before we get away from that is one of the things that the hawks have said is that it's not just about the players that you know you train management in in a d league team and you can train your trainers and your medical staff and your you know your basketball skills people and that you can really you know train just about any kind of employee whatsoever with a team and in a developmental role with the D league team and better prepare them for what they might need to do for the parent club later on. Right, right. Exactly. Um, so I, I was about to incorrectly say that, that this guy was Uh-oh. a D leaguer, but he is not now that, now that you gave me a, a, a second there to research this Malcolm Delaney, he's an overseas guy, uh, former star at Virginia tech. Um, really getting his first you know real taste of nba action he's a guy that that's popped up on summer league rosters he's been a camp guy but had never appeared in an nba game until this season and cut to now he's played 48 games for the hawks he's given him good minutes averaging you know close to 18 minutes a game on the season did the hawks did they kind of stumble into a bit of a, a long-term asset here in delaney um I don't know that they necessarily have a long-term asset because he's on a two-year contract, but I think they have a very nice asset. He's a he's a terrific player. Um, he's he's a guy that just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, first and foremost, he's a veteran guy who's you know been through France and Germany and you know Russia and Ukraine and basically won championships at just about every level that he was at. Now he's here. I think he's a 27-year-old rookie, and he just brings a lot of poise. Uh, starting with a defensive end, he's he's a very good defender, a, a good team defender. You know, in that he always knows the scheme, and you don't catch you know any mistakes or anything like that. He'll fight over screens better than your average point guard will. And he's a good defensive rebounder for a guy who's only like six three. So he he brings a lot. And then on offense, he's not a guy that's going to get to the rim, 
but he can get his own shot at just about any time. And it's a pretty reliable uh, mid-range jump shot that he has. And he's he's slowly been adding the three-point shot. I think that was a little bit of an adjustment. You know, the first month or so was okay. And then he kind of sprained his ankle kind of in the middle of like a West Coast swing when the Hawks went something like 1-10. and 10, And he struggled just as bad as the rest of the team did during that stretch. But in January, he's been like, you know, a 45, 50% three-point shooter. So, you know, if he adds that to a mid-range jump shot, and in addition to being a good defender, you know, that's a really good combination. And he's a nice change of pace from Schroeder. So that, you know, depending on what you need, you've got a little bit of both. You know, Schroeder turns the ball over a little bit, but he's fantastic at getting to the rim. And, you know, they're just kind of two different styles, but I think it's kind of a, a good safety net for the Hawks to have both. And he's a headband wearer, which is big for me. I, I'm starting to worry that the headband might be dying. You don't, you don't see a lot of it, especially from young players these days. Uh, so it's good to see Delaney kind of keeping that going. Um, I want to ask you about Tiago Splitter. He, as of today, has not played an NBA basketball game in 366 days. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that was a big anniversary for him, finally passing the, the one-year mark of not playing what what is going on with Splitter? Um, you know, here at Rotowire, we obviously keep track of injuries. So you know, it seems like once a week we're writing a little update, and it always ends with he's day to day. We're not really sure what's going on. Like, is Tiago Splitter going to play this season? I don't know. I mean, that that's a really good question. Um, you know, I asked about him a couple of weeks ago, and really wasn't told much. Um, so it's tricky. You know, the one thing that I would say is that. You know, over the last couple of weeks, you've you've seen him with the team a lot more. You know, if, if you come in after practice and they're shooting their free throws, he's down there with them. Whereas a few weeks ago, if you walked in after practice, he'd be up in the exercise room working on a bike. Um, you know, last week before game, I think it was before the Wizards game, he was out on the court doing sprints. I think he's slowly getting closer than he has been because you could see his his level of participation in, in team activity type stuff rising. But at the same time, you know, when he had his setback, it was described as a as a minimum of six weeks that he would be gone. And it's been about nine weeks, I think, maybe nine, nine and a half weeks. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm, you know, it might be soon that that his his status and some of these game reports, you know, instead of just being Tiago Splitter out, maybe it'll be Tiago Splitter doubtful or something like that. I think they're just being cautious because at this point, you know, the only value that they're going to get from from having Tiago Splitter here for two years is that, you know, what can he be in the playoffs if he's healthy? All right, so two more questions before we get to a quick rapid-fire round. These are both ones that DJ really wanted me to make sure I asked you. So, one... Eddie Tavares, he is with the Raptors 905, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Um, so you still keep in touch with Tavares. Um, if you're not familiar with Eddie Tavares, he is a giant person. He is 7'3", I believe. Is that right? That is right. From the Canary Islands? Uh, he played – I think that's funny because I was watching the Raptors broadcast the other day, and I think it described him as being from the Canary Islands. But, no, he's from – Cape Verde. Okay. Um, and his, you know, his first junior team that he played for was in the Canary Islands. Okay. Okay. So that must be where that comes from. But either way, do the Hawks still hold his rights? No. They no. Don't. But I, I, I'm just intrigued. Um, I, you know, again, going back to Splitter, um, 
you know, just looking at what they were going to be this season, you know, Splitter played in the Splitter played in the what do you want to call it? Like an open practice, like first week of October, you know, they go to training camp, they have like three days of two days or whatnot. They come back over the weekend and in Atlanta and Phillips arena, they, they play like the intra squad scrimmage type stuff that they do as their open practice. And that was the only time we've really seen splitter play this season. And, and, you know, as far as was still with the team at that point, and, um, you know, I don't know that there was this huge disparity between the quality and level of the play. And then Splitter got hurt. And, you know, Tavares initially made the team for like a week or two at the beginning of the season, and then, and then he was waived. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting. They were both in the last years of their their respective deals. And so, no, I'm just tracking Eddie Tavares because I, I think he's an interesting player. I think he's having a, a nice season in the D-League, and I think especially from the point of view that when he was here in Atlanta, he didn't get to play that much, and so he didn't really get to work on his game. But... You know, following him in the D League, he's having a nice season for a very good Raptors 905 team that that's won, I think, ten straight games and hasn't lost a road game all season. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at his numbers right now, and you know, he's only playing like 24 minutes per game, but but still blocking two and a half shots, still rebounding, you know, seven and a half per game. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've heard the last of Eddie Tavares. I mean, he's still young. Um, obviously, they they drafted him in 2014. And he was unable to, to kind of stick around in Atlanta. But I, I think, you know, he's only 24 years old. I, I'm, I'm sure he'll get another shot at some point. Uh, yeah, he's playing with he's playing with Bruno Caboclo. So, you know, right, he's 7'3", exactly. but he has like a 7'9 wingspan. You should make I think... those two a package deal. Like, if you're going to sign one, you just get the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't even imagine trying to, to score over those two when they're in the paint. Right. That's just I feel like ridiculous. The Bucks, the Bucks have got to be keeping their finger on those two guys. Yeah, they would have been perfect for right. that picture where it was, you know, Sanders and Henson yeah. and Giannis just kind of going fingertip yeah. to fingertip to see how far they could reach across the court. Speaking of Larry Sanders, I don't think we're too far off from a return to Larry Sanders NBA center. I really don't. I don't. I, I wonder, you know, the uh, would he fit in Washington? Well, that's the, that like, was the team I was going to say. They made some comments really? earlier this week. Yeah, there was something I read. I want to say it was that Jay Michael, I think, from CSN, like explicitly mentioned Larry Sanders. The, the article was about Jan Mahimi, who's kind of in a similar situation right now to Splitter, where it's like exactly. he's just like day-to-day forever, and yeah. they don't really know what's going on. He, he had the, the PRP injection treatment. So basically what, what it said is if the PRP injection doesn't work and it looks like he's not going to play – they're going to have to explore other options. And the name he explicitly mentioned was Larry Sanders. And there were reports yesterday that that Sanders' agency has kind of been sending out some feelers. He's ramping up his activity. Um, I think what it really is going to take at this point is just a team willing to give him a chance. Like I think Sanders is ready. Yeah, I mean, I think he's ready, but well, he's going to be rusty, right? He's ready by his standards, yeah. And the, the funny thing about Sanders was he had that one amazing season where – you know, everything was turning up Larry Sanders. Like he was just a phenomenal player and he had the incredible plus minus and he played really great defense, which is something that he did for his entire career, but he was also passable on offense. And I think he had to work really hard to be passable on offense. Like up until that point in his career, he was pretty bad on offense. You'd throw him the ball and you'd hope for the best that he would catch it. And so I wonder, you know, I think he'll be fantastic. If he comes in in shape, I think he'll be a fast, fantastic defender. I don't think there's any question about that. But, 
you know, if he's taken two years off or whatever it's been, you know, when he comes in and he's asked to be part of some sort of precision offense where he's got to catch the ball and pass the ball and make good decisions, I think that's going to be really hard for him. That's the thing. You know, I, I do think he'll be able to step back in as a defender. But the other thing is, it's not like he's been playing overseas. He hasn't been playing in the D League. Like, we don't know what he's been doing. Like, he, it might have just been, you know, one on one type of workouts, you know, open gyms, although that strategy seemed to work out for Hassan Whiteside, I guess. Um, but, but it's also not an injury situation. Like, all those times that Andrew Bynum, you know, he, he came back to the Pacers, I think he was with the Cavs, and it was like, all right, is he gonna? Is this gonna be the team that can get him back to 2009, Andrew Bynum? And it it never worked out, obviously because of injuries. With Sanders, it's just a mental thing, or at least that's you know what what's been reported. So we'll see. I, I think you know if you get him in the right situation, you get him focused, you get him with a coach that that he responds to. Some team's gonna get a big time steal. Yep, and credit to Scott Brooks. My goodness, the right. the, the Wizards. Fifteen straight you know, they, home wins. Fifteen straight home wins. I mean, they were. I mean, I doubted them a little bit. I mean, I know Wall had the the two off-season knee surgeries, and that was a yep. big factor for them stinking up the joint for the first few weeks. But he kept it together, and he's kept it together with a pretty gruesome bench. You look at that bench, and it's like they have nothing. They have this wonderful starting five, and then the bench is just, you know, rotten potatoes. Yeah, it really so has I, been remarkable. Yeah, and, and they, they've put it together. And, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued to see where they go. They look like a team. Yeah, yeah, they really do. I mean, they're still, you know, they're not going to challenge Cleveland. I think, you know, at best, they just become, you know, this year's version of a, of a Raptors or a Celtics. But still, I mean, it looked like a month and a half ago, we were talking about trading John Wall. I mean, it was, you know, this guy can't play with Brad Beal. Uh, and, and all of a sudden now that this team looks like it's a, a serious, serious team in the Eastern Conference. The last thing that DJ wanted me to ask you about, uh, he specifically instructed me to word it as such. How often are you visiting the Hawks practice facility? Because you're tweeting I, about it a lot, and he's noticed. I, I do tweet about it a lot. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, the Hawks are in downtown Atlanta, and they're building a D-League arena about eight miles south of, of where Phillips is. But they're also building a practice facility about five miles north of the city. And it's right next to me. So I am very excited about having the, you know, three minute commute next season. And so I'm I'm always in this shopping center right where the practice facility is going up. And so, you know, when I'm there, I, I usually peep to see how the construction progress is going. So I, I tweet a lot of, of Hawks practice facility uh, construction photos. My father was uh, – was in construction for a very long time as as kind of the on-site manager of of these different construction sites. So, you know, I've seen his photo albums of, you know, what it looks like for a construction site from start to finish. And so this gets to be my little version of that. Yeah, I would go as far as to say you're probably the number one source of Hawks practice facility photos on Twitter. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't know if there's a ton of competition, but you have that locked down. Um, All right, before we get to rapid fire... um, Johnny O'Brien, I again, I kind of kind of buried the lead here. We should have just gotten to this right away, but but the tractor talk came in. Johnny O'Brien is an NBA player right now. Technically, he has not appeared in an NBA game since the the Denver Nuggets signed him to a ten day contract last week. Uh, but obviously, that'll be coming. Are we seeing the resurgence of of a new Johnny O'Brien who, prior to this call up, 
was averaging 18 points, nine rebounds, two assists, a steal, a half a block, uh, and shooting 38% from three in the D League? No. Okay, there you have it. Okay, yeah, no. Ryan is not back. That I can't imagine a worse situation for him than Denver. Right? I, they're just—they're so deep. Like he's not going to get to play. Yeah. Is there some sort of you know you see with with all this Trump stuff, people are bringing these petitions and these GoFundMe's out of nowhere. Like, can we get a Brooklyn Nets? You have to sign Johnny O'Brien petition or like Dallas Mavericks. Like he shouldn't—he shouldn't be allowed to go to a team like Denver that already has way too much front court depth. I think you can start that petition on the White House website if you want. All right, I'll, I'll be like looking they have, they have, as soon as we finish up. And I think if you get to 100,000 votes, it's something that Trump has to address. Really? I, yeah. Oh, man, could you imagine that, that press conference? An executive order on Johnny O'Brien? <laughs> All right, you shouldn't even be telling me this because you're, you're giving me a lot of ideas here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hope, hopefully I will cross paths with J.O.B. at some point. I don't I mean... I don't know if the if the Nuggets are in Atlanta anytime soon, but if they are and he's still with them or whatever team he's with comes through Atlanta, please, please vow to me that you will talk to him on my behalf. I will, but uh, I don't think it's within the next ten days. So, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't get your hopes up. I'm I'm actually going to All Star Weekend in, in a few weeks in New Orleans. First of all, will you be there? No, I won't be there. That's not the right answer. You're supposed to say yes. I will definitely be there. Um, so that, that's disappointing. But I'm wondering, like, J.O.B. might be a part of that for the D-League stuff. So I'm really, really crossing my fingers on that. I think they do a dunk contest. They do a three-point shootout. Maybe the, is the D-League All-Star game that weekend? Has that already happened? They had the D-League showcase, but that's just like regular season okay, games. Yeah, I was going to say, that's different than the All-Star game, right? Right. Okay, so I think that is the All-Star game. And assuming J.O.B., bless his heart, is back in the D-League at that point, I would imagine he would be an All-Star. Um Let's get to rapid fire. I can't remember okay. if we did this last time we had you on. So if we did and we have a repeat question, just pretend that you haven't had it yet and give us an answer. All right. So let's start. Who is the most underrated team in the NBA right now? Washington. I still, I mean, even with that 15-game home winning streak, I don't think enough people are talking about them. No, I agree. I don't think I don't think the casual fan has any idea that they've won 15 straight at home, let alone five straight. And part of that is that the East is just dreadful. Yep, absolutely. Um, most overrated team in the NBA? Probably the Spurs. I, I, I don't think they're playing as well as their record says. Wow. I, I don't know if anyone has ever called the Spurs overrated before, but... I might have to agree with you. I, I think they're still a really, really good top three regular season team. I very much have my questions about how that front court is going to match up with Golden State or Cleveland or the Clippers or whoever it is, even the Rockets out west. Um, this, this, you know, bringing in Pau Gasol to me just seemed like a kind of a non-Spurs move, I guess, in terms of, in terms of what we've seen from them before. Like that, to me, like how does that how does he match up with Golden State? Like, can he even be on the court? What about if he's paired with David Lee? Right. Well, well, in that case, there we go. Well, it's like LaMarcus Aldridge in himself is not a great matchup for Golden State. And then you have these other two guys, Gasol and Lee, or even worse matchups. Yeah, I think they're, you know, they're going to have to count on somebody like Jonathan Simmons if, if they get that far. I don't think that they can, I don't think they can force Golden State to play their way. I think Golden State will force mm-hmm. the Spurs to play Golden State style. Right, that's the thing. Is like you can, 
in theory, it sounds good to throw out a big lineup and say, all right, we're going to make them adjust. But the problem is their small forward is 6'11 and is playing the best defense of his career. And like, I, I wouldn't really feel like it's a big mismatch to have Kevin Durant on David Lee, you know? Sure. I agree. All right. When you're not watching the Hawks, who's your favorite team to watch on League Pass? Wow. That is a good question. I mean, I, I guess I would have to say the Bucks just because of Giannis. I really like watching Giannis play. I, he's just a different player. So I would have to say the Bucks. Okay. All right. That's a good answer. Um, all right. You're starting a team, and you can only pick one legendary ex-Hawks center to build around. Are you going with Joel Prisbilla, Eric Dampier, or Elton Brand? Elton. He's just delightful. You have, you he's, he's, he's good people. <laughs> not not like personally, but you know, you nobody would ever say a bad word yeah. about Elton Brand. He's just he's beloved. Well, and there's no debate that of those three, Elton Brand was far and away the best player at his peak, right? Sure. I mean, I you know, Elton Brand's going to get some Hall of Fame votes. I don't yeah. think Joe Joe Prisbilla will. No, no. Well, Dampier had a really a bit of a rough end to his career. Like he leaves Dallas to go play with LeBron in Miami. Dallas wins the title that year. Then he retires, Oof. and Miami wins the title right after that. Ouch. Yeah, not yeah if, he's, he's a nice player, but yeah, not, he's not Elton Brand. He is not Elton Brand. People forget how good Elton Brand was before the Achilles. Like, he came in and averaged like 20 and 10 as a rookie. Yep. All right, better player at his peak, Josh Smith or Joe Johnson? Oh, my goodness. I don't even think I have an answer to this question. I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to you. Joe Johnson? That that's that tricky. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I don't know, man. I mean like Johnson has the accolades, but like Smith, Smith for a couple years there, like, you know, 07, 08, Josh Smith was a handful. Yeah, there was there was a part where like uh I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this, but like there was one point in their careers where how much different was Josh Smith and LeBron? Like Okay. No, really? <laughs> No, come on now, really now. Like I mean, they it was were pretty different. They both had, you know, these fantastic handles. They were both fantastically athletic. You know, they could get to the rim to do these devastating things. And okay, yeah. So there was a difference. But you gotta remember now, take yourself back to where was LeBron, you know, before we got to Miami, like and bef- even you know, a few years even before that, like maybe two thousand six, something like that. You know, how different was Josh he was, Smith? He was LeBron in the NBA now? Finals. 2006? 07. What year did he go and lose to the Spurs? I don't know, like 06? I think it was like it was 07. I think it was like 07. <laughs> so, like, if you go to 2006, obviously LeBron was the number one pick and had, you know, that that whole thing. But if you, like, made him switch jerseys and, you know, made him switch teams, I don't know that it would have looked that much different for either one. I don't one. know, man. Like, do you in think- 2006... Does I know Josh it's hard Smith to back. carry that Cleveland team to like 50 wins or whatever they had that year? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. I think so. I think so. I don't know. I don't know. Point is, Josh Smith is probably going to be remembered as a worse player than he actually was, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was like a great defender. He was yeah. so ridiculously athletic. He was, he he was, was really good. Freak. He was a freak. He was, he was fun to watch in a sometimes frustrating way. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, the Bucks signed him, or were very close to signing him to a max offer sheet, weren't they? 
or trading for him. There was some some sort of in the middle of that whole box situation where they were just kind of trying to merge rosters for a while. Like Josh Smith very was very close to becoming a Milwaukee Buck. Um, and it wasn't she maybe it was like a rumor or something that yeah, that seems maybe that's yeah maybe that's too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look, I mean, he had a peak of you know, you could argue what probably 2011, 2012, 19 points per game, 10 rebounds, four assists, almost two blocks, and a steal and a half while shooting 46 percent from the field. Yeah, I mean, like the combination of, of getting to the rim, getting steals, getting blocks, getting dunks, like. Mm-hmm. You put all that stuff together, and there weren't a lot of people who could do what he did. All right, pick one. Future, Ludacris, Young Thug, Migos, or T.I.? Uh, Migos. Migos? Okay, that, that's definitely the, the most relevant, correct answer. All five of those were acceptable answers, by the way. Have you ever seen a Rasheed Wallace Hawks jersey? I'm pretty sure that I have. Really? I think so. Oh, wow. I've been in the market for one of those for a while, and believe it or not, they are very hard to find. Um, I've, you know, I've definitely heard from some people who say they have them, and I, and I think I've seen them. <laughs> you, you see a lot of interesting. There's a lot of Marvin Williams jerseys you see. And oh yeah. You, you go through Phillips, and there's there's some interesting jerseys, but I, I think I've seen a Rasheed Wallace at one point or another. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, is the Baysmore gaze or the Bays gaze your favorite thing to screen grab when you're covering a game? I don't think so. I'm at, because that's an every game thing. I like getting the weirder things that aren't going to be an every game thing. So, um, you know, sometimes it's interesting, especially when there's like a third person, like there's the person being interviewed, there's Baysmore. And if somebody else gets sucked into it, it can be interesting from time to time. Uh, but I think there are things that are, you know, weirder and more bizarre that are only going to happen once a year or even rarer than that, that are, that are better to screen grab. All right, last one. We're about four days from Super Bowl 41, 51. I should know this. I feel like it, I don't know what number Super Bowl it is, but the Super Bowl is near. The Atlanta Falcons, as I hope you're aware, are in the Super Bowl. You're not an Atlanta lifer, but do you find yourself rooting for the Falcons going up against New England? Absolutely. Um, the, the, this city needs a win <laughs> in a bad way. And there haven't been a lot of winners from Atlanta. Okay, well, maybe maybe the better way to ask this, this, this is the way that DJ actually phrased it on our little planning sheet here. He says, will you be afraid for your life if the Falcons win the Super Bowl? Oh, for, no, it's going to be a great party. This oh, is like, this a is like, party, okay. This is a, no, it's going to be a great party. I mean, this, this is a wonderful city, and, and I don't think there's going to be... I, I think it'll be terrific if they win. I think it's going to be great for, for civic pride to use yeah. the most horrifying way of describing it. But I just... It's a team that's just had so many heartbreaking losses in their in their sports teams, and and if they get a win, boy, that'll be something. I really do like their chances, honestly. I think you know, obviously, this is New England, and you never want to bet against Brady or Belichick. But I I don't know that this is one of New England's best Super Bowl teams, or you know, best teams overall of their last ten fifteen years. And you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll find out that Green Bay and Seattle just weren't all that good. But Atlanta is not really had trouble with, with any opponents in the last few weeks. I I don't know. I, I would be surprised, I guess, if, if New England wins comfortably. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if New England wins, but I think Atlanta's going to give them a great game. I agree. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, and I'm not a person that looks forward to football very often. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is great. KL, that's all I have for you. Appreciate you taking the time to join me. You can follow KL on Twitter, at KL Chouinard. That's K L C H O U I. 
N-A-R-D. Uh, anything else that you want to plug before I let you go? ATL and 29. That's that's my podcast. If you find me on Twitter, I, I'll I'll be sure to tweet some links from there. Yes. ATL and 29. You have the Eddie Tavares podcast, actually, where you spoke to Eddie. That's pinned on your Twitter account. So that's a good place to start if you want to listen to that podcast. I know you can find it on SoundCloud. Uh, is it on, on iTunes or any other platforms? Yeah, it's on, uh, I think it's SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher so far. Okay, excellent. Well, that should pretty much cover it, I think, for anyone looking to listen to that. So, again, follow KL on Twitter, at KL Chenard. Listen to the ATL in 29 podcast. KL, thanks again, man. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.